Genre. everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Sparks Nevada from the narrative podcast, The Thrilling Adventure Hour. And joining us for the discussion is first-time guest, Hal Lublin. Welcome, Hal. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And also returning guest, John Dorowski. Welcome, John. I'm under onus to you for having me on. <laughs> very glad to have you bo- uh, both on. And in particular, Hal, it's a very special treat to have you on to talk about Sparks Nevada and the Thrilling Adventure Hour uh, podcast, because you are part of the Work Juice players who helped to create the content of the Thrilling Adventure Hour. Yeah, it's I, hard to imagine this was 10 years ago that these episodes were 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 performed and then subsequently released. Yes, they're uh, they're uh, almost. It's going to be almost exactly a year from from when we're recording to when they were were made. Um, so, for any listeners who are unfamiliar, Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars, is a sci-fi western comedy performed in the style of old time radio. Its episodes were performed for a live audience and then released as podcasts. We are discussing the episodes: the return of Croach the Tracker and the introduction of two new important characters. That's the title of one episode. And the other episode <laughs> is a mind is a terrible thing in space. They were originally performed on May 7th, 2011 and June 4th, 2011 and released on November 14th, 2011 and December 12th, 2011 as podcasts. These episodes were written by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, directed by Evan Schletter and starred Mark Evan Jackson as Sparks Nevada, Mark Gagliardi as Croach the Tracker, Hal Lublin as the narrator. Busy Phillips as the Red Plains writer, Linda Cardellini as Rebecca Rose Rushmore, Nathan Fillion as Cactoid Jim, and Patton Oswalt as Billy the Bot in the first episode, and Mark or Mike Furman was Billy the Bot in the second episode. I had to recast the role, which had happened occasionally, I believe. <laughs> yeah, uh, fun. Well, we can get into this a little later. I want to correct one thing. I hate oh. to do this. I feel terrible. No, uh, dude, get in there. So Evan Schletter wrote the Sparks theme. Mm-hmm. And then the music we're doing at that time was Andy Paley and the Andy Paley Orchestra. And the show was directed by Aaron Ginsberg. Oh, I am sorry. The, That's okay. I, I pulled the trivia from a, from a fan website. So oh, I, who, I should what? have double checked. Give me a URL. I'm going to go there and <laughs> shut it down as soon as this is over. Uh, and uh, thank you for that correction. We like to get those things correct. You know, no problem. Um, or maybe it's, you know, I don't want to throw that fan website. Maybe I just, you know, transferred information incorrectly into my script. I think it's the website's fault. I think we should drag <laughs> them. I want names. <laughs> this is now a the, really... the edit dates of the fan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get, get ready to get docs. People who took time to devote a website to something you enjoy. That's what you get. Yes. Well, that's what fandoms really need is more gatekeeping and calling people out. That's, Absolutely. Gatekeeping, it's been punishment. missing. Yeah. Yes, particularly in online discourse. I think that's been missing for quite a while. Yeah. It's all too <laughs> calm and genteel and friendly. <laughs> Uh, well, um, as uh, as for, for guests, we, we always like to touch on how we came to the particular work. And in my, uh, my uh, for, for me, John, uh, my brother, introduced me to the podcast. He'd become a fan of it and said, you need to listen to this. And I have vivid sense memories when I was re-listening to these episodes of vacuuming a house I was moving out of uh, in preparation, where like with all the packing and, and cleaning up the house, I was listening to just hours of Thrilling Adventure Hour. Um, and and it, some of those sense memories came back as I was listening to these episodes for this uh discussion today so john why don't you tell us how you came to the podcast and then we'll have hell hal tell us a little bit about your experience with the thrilling adventure hour yeah well I'm, i need to set the stage a little bit for this oh um so this was when i was heading out to kentucky to start the phd program first time i got an iphone and ipad so first time i was getting podcasts i got some recommendations from joseph on what to listen to and i have been seeing the thrilling adventure hour pop up uh because they were doing the graphic novel Kickstarter. And I was like, oh, all right, this sounds interesting. Uh, I'll pick that myself and uh, put it on the list. To I'll listen to a few episodes, see if it's good. So it was the middle of the night in Kansas. Obviously, nothing else going on. I've been driving for <laughs> 12 hours at this point, And I put on the Thrilling Adventure Hour. And immediately wish I had downloaded all the available episodes. <laughs> I'd only downloaded a couple. And it was another week before I could download more. Uh, and so I just immediately understood the concept, understood the humor, uh, fell in love with it, and uh, shared it with everyone that I could. 
All right. And Hal, your origin story is going to be a little more involved, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I met Ben Acker, I want to say 2004. And he and I, I already knew Mark Gagliardi. I met Mark a couple of days after he moved to Los Angeles. A lot of the a lot of the people who came to the Thrilling Adventure Hour from Second City, which would be Mark Evan Jackson, Craig Kikowski, uh, Annie Savage, myself, you know, we we all knew each other. Some of Annie and I, Annie, I've known for for 20 plus years. But uh, Acker and I were in a sketch group along with Annie and Mark Gagliardi. And th- this is in 2005 at this point where when Thrilling Adventure Hour was just starting. And Acker at the time said, we just started the show. We'd love to get you in sometime if there's room. I said, of course. Then Mark was cast in a sketch show that Acker had written. Mark had to drop out. I filled in for him. And Blacker came to see that. And after one of the performances, they were like, come next month and narrate the stuff. And that was, <laughs> I think, June of 2005. So it was show two, th- two or three. And then that's never looked back. That was. <laughs> So uh, since we were in a supper club and it leaned way, way more heavily, it's interesting, you know, people who, who know it only as a podcast are getting a much more polished version. It took about five years to get to, to the point where we were, we were recording a lot of stuff. We, we had recordings that didn't come through that we were trying to do at MBAR. At this point, we had moved to Largo. We moved to Largo in January of 2009, I think. And that was really when we started getting better recordings of everything so so people who are hearing it it's it's new but for us a a lot of them were scripts that we had done before that were rewritten and so we were getting another crack at them and sometimes a different casting which we'll also uh, get into i'm sure so for um for all of you that were involved this is obviously like a creative exercise but is that initial version of it everyone just kind of like getting reps in of writing you know the, the getting this output done and performing regularly before before you had conceptualized it as this you know podcast that would go out and find a larger audience i think for well for actor and blacker it started as a writing exercise they knew all these in, incredible peoples before well before me that that read their they had written a a sparks nevada i think a a movie or a tv pilot they did a reading of and then they realized we should be doing this as a show Mm -hmm. so they knew this incredible sort of repertory group of actors that they that they put together and for them they were generating huge amounts of material and and continuing to grow as writers and they're all they were already very good back then and it just a lot of it was a labor of love that Mm -hmm. At a certain point, Blackers like, we should start recording these. For, you know, we're going to try to record these to put them out as a podcast, but we never really had the equipment for it. So it was just, let's keep doing the show. Who knows what it's going to be? Maybe they can pitch it for television or, or we can move to somewhere bigger, which we eventually did. But uh, I think for all of us who were performers for a really long time, it was just really great scripts. And we all love one another and that opportunity to come together once a month and know we're going to see each other and get to perform. It just never, never got old and never stopped, never stopped being fun. It was still, still to this day, even doing the virtual shows that we, that we're doing, getting to see everybody, even if it's just in a little window and a screen is a really big relief. And that, that feels like home. Yeah, and I I, th- I would imagine for everyone like this is just part of also getting your ten thousand hours of like performance, right? Oh <laughs> of, yeah, um, uh, you know, just you're you're constantly polishing your craft in as you said like this really welcoming environment with uh, a collaborators that you trust to give you good material and to work with you on your material. Um, it it really sounds like it must have been almost like lightning in a bottle special experience of of creativity. Absolutely. Not only do you get to do a lot of stuff, but but Acker and Blacker trust everybody to do anything so they'll throw you something last minute and with very little direction just for you to figure it out because they know that you can do it or they'll say one word and whoever it is that has it is going to do a great job and you know coming from from the improv world where there is no real failure and your job is to support one another it's that same idea in this group of people whether they're improvisers or not we're all there to support and help one another succeed so and you know is there any better way to learn than by being in in the same show as Paget Brewster and Paul F Tompkins and also Mark Evan Jackson and Craig Kikowski and then John DiMaggio's there and James Urbaniak it's like an acting camp once a month with people who 
you just respect and they're all so different and you can learn a million things in in just a couple hours um and if, if you could give us like a peek behind the curtain my sense is and i, I know i listened to a whole bunch of like behind the scenes stuff years mm-hmm. ago but this was you would record once a month right is it like a two-hour block is what you would record essentially or so we would do a live show mm-hmm. at at largo it would be about 90 minutes 90 minutes okay and and then you would get that cut up so the sparks would get cut out and those would be put out separately and beyond mm-hmm. belief whatever the middle segments were and i think the ads were put out as bonus episodes so if you've never seen a full live show then you would have no way you can just be a sparks nevada fan you can just be a captain Laserbeam fan you don't have the people who who would come and see it every month got a different perspective where they saw an entire piece put together mm-hmm. so I know not to give away stuff that's on that's on the on your doc, which I think is amazing. It's so well, this is so well organized. Such a pleasure to, to <laughs> be here is for us doing it. We were doing a live show. So it was never done with the idea that it was going to be a podcast later. It was just people who listen to the podcast would get a taste of what it was like to see the show live. And I think that helps for people who enjoy watching because you hear the audience laughing at moments where nothing's happening and you get to fill, you get to play a little theater of the mind and imagine what's going on there. It's some ridiculous physical bit mm-hmm. that makes you want to be there live with it. I think it, that could go either way, but it, it feels like for, for people who I've spoken to who listen to the show, that makes them want to be there more for a live show, which I think I would love to someday take the show out on the road <laughs> again. I, I will ever try to go out on the road for something as soon as I can. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. We're all, well, did you get your second shot? Which one did you get? Is it two weeks away? Can we go? Come on. I got a bus. Uh, now, well, uh, oh, go ahead. I, I just want to say that um, you're talking about the live experience or being able to view it. And there are a couple of ways you can view some of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the concert film. Yeah. Uh, there's There are some clips on YouTube. And I believe it's season four of Castle on the special features. Yes. As some episodes. <laughs> Yeah, they came and filmed Nathan doing the show. <laughs> uh, by, by the way, maybe this is the time to drop this. Is Cactoid Jim was originally written for me as a, as a character because I was just doing narration. This is early, early, early before any of us had a line to Nathan Fillion. And it was written just so he would be a counterpoint to Sparks Nevada, but slightly different, slightly different character. And Nathan is, does a much better, t- like I could not be happier that he's doing it instead of me. I have plenty, I have plenty to do in the show, but I always think of that. It's always interesting to me to think like, Oh, I was the original Cactoid Jim <laughs> way back when. And no one will know because it was never recorded. <laughs> oh, so that was one of the ones that was like uh, performed at the M bar, but then redone at Largo. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So a uh, little bit of trivia and everyone's welcome to jump in if they have more. But Sp- Sparks Nevada, as we've said, it's part of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, which was this live stage reading of these scripts. But it was uh, full musical accompaniment and fully work. This was supposed to sound like a classic radio show if you've ever listened to old time radio. And it really does. I've, I've listened to quite a bit of old time radio. And uh, th- what's being parodied is pretty spot on. <laughs> this is clearly people who who uh, know the source material that they're having some fun with. Um, but they're also creating now new fully fleshed out characters it's not just stopping at parody which can sometimes be like a, like a valid but one note kind of comedy um like I, I think for particularly sparks nevada and beyond belief which are the two series that were always being done or it seemed like at least you were always getting a monthly episode whereas the other ones mm-hmm. uh some of the other series that they would do would swap in and out from from month to month as far as what was being released on the podcast um for those two i think there's a, a very loyal fan following uh for for those characters um and there's some really amazing performances that come um, with that, but just also just some excellent writing. Um, and besides the, those live performances where it began, we've, we've said it's got released as a podcast. And then uh, there's been um, the live concert film uh, that was uh, made and released. And then there's been a documentary, I think that was attached with that film release. Uh, then there's also been comic book adaptations of the two core segments, Sparks Nevada and Beyond Belief. So it's, it's, continue to kind of like grow and move out, uh, you know, a little bit beyond. It's funny to think of it as starting with that script reading and, <laughs> you know, with, with Ben Acker and Ben Blacker and yeah. what it ended up becoming. Yeah. The Kickstarter was really big. I mean, 
So when we moved from Embar to Largo, it was tough to fill that house. We moved to a place that was essentially twice as big, maybe three times as big, and people weren't showing up. And when we got Nathan the first time, the show sold out. But when then when Nathan wasn't there, those people kept, kept coming back. So by the time we hit 2011, we've got an established audience, which made the Kickstarter possible because there were so many people listening and, and uh, a, a guy had come to Acker and Blacker with this idea to, to do the Kickstarter. And it was way more successful than I ever thought it would be. So it's great to have all of those different versions of of the show and ways to connect with it outside of the audio. I think it helps it live on for a show that 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 ended six years ago, but will never die. It's still going like we're oddly doing it more now than we were six years ago. Um, and the core cast of the Thrilling Adventure Hour were named the Work Juice Players, which I believe is a reference to coffee, correct? <laughs> work Juice being yes, coffee. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> um, and that is, as you've already noted, like you've listed a lot of them. It's a phenomenally talented group that I think a lot of our listeners will recognize a lot of those names. But then and also, when I, I started I, well, to look I, through. Oh, go ahead, John. I want to say, even if you don't recognize them by name, you have seen all these people or heard them on voice work, on animation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you've, in some form, you've probably uh, encountered this cast. But then I was also going to note that, um, as you've said, like, uh, Nathan Fillion comes as a guest star. And, uh, in, in this episode we're talking about, we, there was Patton Oswalt. I was looking through the, the Wikipedia list of all the guest stars. And I'm like, that is, it's just so long of people who came and jumped in and were willing to participate. And it's, it's such a, a wide array, like weird Al Yankovic is in there, which I have to imagine was pretty exciting to, oh to get goodness. weird. Al. <laughs> I, I still, my first interaction with, I just seen him in concert. And I couldn't put together a sentence. <laughs> so it took a couple times. I mean, he's I mean, just such, and he's like the nice, all, the great thing is, is you could go down that entire list of guests and they were all really, really nice. Like the worst anybody could be is aloof, which is understandable because you're coming into a situation where there's an established show and you're kind of new kid on the block and, and everybody adjusts to that situation differently. We were always very welcoming, but, each person was such a delight and so nice and so easy to work with and eager to come in and play. And I think that's, that's what helped us in the long run have people come in is whoever came in would have a really good time. They get to come and play. Yeah. As I was looking through that list, it was like, I've seen them in a dozen things. I've seen, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I followed their career, but then I saw Weird Al. And as a child of the eighties yep. <laughs> who grew up, you know, with, with that, those Weird Al cassette tapes <laughs> yes. know, that, that I would wear out. I was like, Oh, that's, that's the one. <laughs> that, oh that's the goodness. name that stands out. I, I think it was on the Kickstarter graphic novel. You have all the blurbs on the back and it'd be, you know, so-and-so from this, so-and-so from that Weird Al Yankovic national treasure. <laughs> listen it's that's in his contract he must be used at all times including when he walks into a room you have to say oh weird al yankovic national treasure and then he will speak to you <laughs> uh well does anyone else have any trivia about the thrilling adventure hour before we jump into the summary of these two episodes i mean i'm sure i could give you a, a ton of stuff but maybe it's better to just go into the flow of things and if okay. you have any questions or anything i'm happy to answer them as we go all right well thank you well before we move on to those summaries we want to thank you for downloading this episode and we especially want to thank those of you who support us on patreon if you'd like to support us we invite you to go to patreon.com protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month all supporters on patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast and all patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss on the podcast now on to the two episodes the first is the return of croach the tracker and and the introduction of two new important characters. And I guess we should establish Croach the Tracker is a native Martian who uh, this this show in particular is parodying a lot of the Lone Ranger. And so uh, Sparks Nevada is your Lone Ranger archetype and Croach the Tracker would be your Tonto uh, mm-hmm. archetype that we have for this. Um, and Croach the Tracker has um, left 
Spark Nevada side to go be in a relationship with the Red Plains writer, who Sparks also had feelings for. Sparks is now preparing to accept applications for the role of deputy. The first person to arrive is Rebecca Rose Rushmore. And I just have to shout out the names on this. I mean, I've already said Sparks Nevada, Croach the Tracker, Rebecca Rose Rushmore, and Red Plains writer. These are just phenomenal names from the get-go for characters. Uh, but Rebecca Rose Rushmore is not applying for the job. She's an author who writes beloved space adventure novels, and she'd like to write one about Sparks Nevada. Local yokel Felton bursts in screaming for help, uh, though he does pause to say that he's a big fan of Rebecca's books. So uh, one of the learning gags is that Sparks doesn't know who Rebecca Rose Rushmore is, and every single person who enters the room recognizes her from her dust jacket, and they love you know photo, and they love to read her books. Uh, Felton sells, uh, says that he's been renting a room to a science being, but a robot just broke it. Robot, I guess he says, just broke in and stole a science gun from the science being. And this is the way a lot of these things get described, which is fantastic. So now Billy the Bot, the robot that stole the gun, bursts in. After noting that he's a fan of Rebecca's novels, he shoots Sparks with the science gun, which causes Sparks to shrink. Cactoid Jim enters to thunderous applause. This is when you like, even if you didn't know that, like you said on the podcast, like, you know, Nathan Fillion just stepped on the stage because the place goes <laughs> wild. <laughs> All of a sudden, like we don't hear the entrance, <laughs> but you know, it just happened. Yep. Uh, and Cactoid Jim is going to apply for the deputy position. He sees what's going on. And he shoots Billy the Bot's gun. Rebecca Rose Rushmore is very taken with Cactoid Jim. She seemed interested in Sparks, but once Cactoid Jim comes in, all <laughs> attention and narration is now directed to Cactoid Jim. She narrates uh, what her thoughts are sometimes. Uh, Jim says he's there to do the most good he's able, and the Shrunken Sparks Nevada hires him to be the deputy. Billy the Bot draws another science gun, but Croach the Tracker enters and shoots Billy. Croach announces that he still has onus to fulfill to Sparks Nevada. And this is like Croach's, uh, he, he's always talking about, hey, he has he he has onus towards Sparks, and that's why he's always at his side. Realizing that Sparks has hired Cactoid Jim as a deputy, Croach says, "Well, now I'm going to be superflu superfluous, and my onus will remain incomplete." But uh, I'm going to leave. So uh, Cactoid Jim repairs the shrinking gun uh, that he had shot out of Billy the Bot's hand, and he uses it to restore Sparks to his normal size. Cactoid Jim says that he has to resign because he just used a science gun without proper authorization, which breaks 116C subsection 34 of Martian law. Sparks now offers Croach the position of deputy. But Croach says if he took an official human position, he would be shunned by his tribe. So he will simply serve Sparks until his onus is fulfilled. Cactoid Jim leaves. Uh, Rebecca Rose Rushmore follows, and now uh, seeing... Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, Rebecca Rose Rushmore follows because she now sees Cactoy Jim as her muse. Billy reboots himself and shoots Croach and Spark with a second science gum, gun that he had stolen, which causes Sparks's and Croach's minds to switch bodies. And that's the cliffhanger at the end of the episode is Mark Evan Jackson and Mark Egliotti with very distinctive voices doing impressions of each other <laughs> and, and the way that they perform these two roles. Because they have distinctive voices, but they also have very uh, specific cadence in which they deliver lines at Sparks Nevada and Croach yes. the Tracker. And so now that you you just know the next episode is just going to be them doing impressions of each other. And so now we have a mind in a, uh, is a terrible thing in space. With their minds in each other's bodies, Sparks and Croach naturally spend some time arguing about whose body is superior. Billy the Bot shoots Sparks, uh, who is in Croach's body, with a regular gun. Sparks is freaked out when Croach's nanotech begins to heal his body. Uh, nanotech is uh, something that the Martians have that Sparks is always saying it's just nanotech and they always pronounce it as nanotech. Uh, Billy, uh, the bot, is about to shoot Croach, who is in Sparks' body, which would not heal itself, when the Red Plains rider enters and shoots Billy. Sparks and Croach explain that they've switched bodies. Croach apologizes for having left Red and also for only leaving her a note when he left. <laughs> Croach says uh, their non-compatible physiognomies uh, had made their relationship difficult, but now that he's in Sparks', Sparks Nevada's body, things could work out between them. Uh, Rose doesn't like that idea, switches their bodies uh, back using the second science gun, and then asks Croach, now that he's back in his actual body, if he still wants to try and make it work with her, and Croach says he needs more time to think. Wrong answer, Croach. That was not <laughs> the right thing to say right then. Red uh, says she's not there about her relationship with Croach anyway, but she's there to warn Sparks that there's a threat to Mars. Red tells Sparks that she saw science aliens drilling a hole to the planet's core, and he better go look into that. Sparks asks her if she wants to help him, but she declines and leaves. The end of that. You know, obviously, we're going to move on. That's a, the style of old-time radio, is that you always have to end on a cliffhanger so the kids come back and listen uh, right. to the next episode. Uh, but those are the summaries of the two section or two episodes of Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars. 
And I just want to acknowledge summarizing comedy never does justice. And particularly summarizing Mark Evan Jackson's, you know, <laughs> performances, Sparks Nevada is not going to do justice to uh, the kinds of laughs that come from uh, from the thrilling adventure hour. Um, so a few things that I want us to think about uh, with this or that, or that stood out to me as I started trying to analyze this. And one thing is that the comedy is so layered in Sparks, Nevada. And I think for all of thrilling adventure hour. So, as I said, like there is parody of the old time radio. Like if you've ever listened to any of the old, old style Westerns, uh, you, you know, a lot of what they're kind of riffing on and also some of their sci-fi shows. Um, but then there's also like the absurdity of the plot is one layer of the comedy, but an awful lot of the humor is coming out of the character. And I think that's why the show becomes beloved, not because it's just like having fun with a, an older style of narrative storytelling, but because we come to love these characters and a lot of our laughter comes because of how much we know these characters. Yeah. A lot of the, the genre stuff is a framing device and it's really fun. They play in genre really, really well. They managed to satirize it without, they, they point out what's funny without making fun of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really, it's tough not to, not to be mean when you're, when you're sort of lampooning a genre. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you, they, you can tell that they love Westerns and science fiction, but they also understand that they're, that uh, some of these things are ridiculous. Yeah. But the, I think, I think why it works and why it worked for so long and continues to work is it's really the, the, the important relationship, no matter how many other characters come in and out, is Sparks and Croach and them developing a friendship, but each of them, for very different reasons, being unwilling to, to be honest about their emotions or they're, they're off one at a time. And, and that's Sparks in particular and Jackson's portrayal of him. He's, so, he's such a fragile character <laughs> for, for, for being like the, the sort of stoic kind of western hero he's so insecure and so fragile and so all of his emotions are just underneath the surface just and they poke through all the time so it's it's so easy to press that character's buttons and just sort of watch him go and and that is part part that the writing is so brilliant but also a huge part it's hard to imagine anybody but mark evan jackson playing that role because he it's it's him mm -hmm. yes um so i had uh I, I did a big research project on the tv show fraser and in doing that i came across a, a sitcom writer named david isaac who had who, who broke down like what works about the character of fraser and he said like you, you need to be able the best characters you can identify what their character traits are and when they are in conflict with each other internally that's where you can get a really rich character and sparks nevada has a lot of fraser crane in that they are both very arrogant characters that are so needy for approval from others uh and, and that's where like that that arrogance and neediness i think is just a really rich comedic vein to mine and both like kelsey Grammer and mark evan jackson their voices allow <laughs> you know is such a great delivery of like wounded petulance uh mm -hmm. and at the same time a sense of superiority car carrying through which I, it's such an interesting needle to thread but when when you find characters who are actually hitting those notes i think it's um it, it can just be a joy to kind of listen to that performance absolutely i mean you have you have a character here who who is also like has saved the planet mars a ton of times but every time you meet his parents you get the sense that he's a disappointment to them because they had very specific plans for him that he didn't follow through on. So anytime he's dealing with them, yes, it's, it's essentially the United Federation of planets talking to a local lawmaker, but really it's a kid rebelling and trying to separate himself from his parents and, and sort of be independent. And that's just, again, it speaks to the layers and it, it, it all, you could, boil everything down and take out the 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 thing that happens the monster of the week and say it's about sparks struggle to to admit that he needs croach mm -hmm. yeah i think that uh going back to one of your previous points how that uh they need each other but don't want to admit it that uh, one of the layers of it is they're kind of like a bunch of eight-year-olds who think they know what they're doing but don't want to admit anything yes uh, and can push each other's buttons really well yes 100 percent. and i i think um 
that there's something similar with Croach, but it, it's different. And also with Cactoid Jim, when he comes in as, as you said, kind of a, as a foil or, um, you know, a, a mirror version of, of Sparks Nevada, that's going to show some differences. There's an earnestness to Cactoid Jim, particularly with like Nathan Fillion, where it's like, there's this earnest goodness. Uh, and for everyone who looks at him, they see perfection, but you also like for him, he's striving to be better than what he is right now. Uh, that is just such a different you know, character than Sparks Nevada, even though they're both like these absurd Western archetypes that are wandering around. Uh, and it really does provide, uh, you know, these delicious uh, counterpoints to each other when they're, when they're able to interact. Yeah, he's kind of there to remind Sparks of everything that Sparks is not. <laughs> and everything exactly. Sparks believes himself to be. That was the point I was going to make. That, <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. Cactoid Jim is this platonic ideal. Mm -hmm. And that's what Sparks Nevada wants to be or how he sees himself and thinks other people might view him. Uh, and there, then Cactuar Jim comes in as the real thing. And suddenly all those flaws are very visible. Yeah. His insecurities definitely come to the surface. Um, well, how do you think uh, Croach the tracker uh, is a, like, he's fulfilling that, that Tonto role and uh, right from the theme song where they say like the Martian savage drumming, you know, they know all the issues that come with a, <laughs> Low Ranger and Tonto, like all the loaded baggage uh, that comes and they're uh, doing just enough to like acknowledge it and also make fun of the fact that the, that was such an accepted part of our cultural narratives, but then also like elevate Croach. Uh, I, I think they, they walk a really fine line uh, in, in playing with the lampooning of that particular uh, trope of old time radio. Um, but Croach as a tractor, uh, sorry, Croach as a, as a character, uh, what stands out to you? How would you define Croach the tracker? To me, Croach is, uh, Croach is someone who's bound by duty, but whose evolution and, and arc as a character is discovering and, and allowing his emotions to come in. Like there's something about him that's, that's a little different. And the more time he spends with essentially these colonizers, <laughs> the more he the more he evolves into a more feeling being I mean, by the, the, the further you get in the, he's way more willing to talk about emotional issues than, than sparks where there was a time where there are a lot more and we're sort of in that, that era here where he's a lot less likely to talk about how he's feeling. It takes his relationship with red to really to have that and then lose it really helps him find a new dimension. And you get drunk croach, which is, <laughs> one of the best episodes ever what's the uh, there's the insult he always does it butt milk <laughs> so yes, <he> always does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the milk of a butt <laughs> so uh with the idea that they're foils that croach and sparks are foils um in this case it's that idea that the cowboy is supposed to be stoic on the one hand you have sparks who's trying to be stoic and croach the tracker who initially comes off of that his race doesn't really have it's like vulcans they don't aren't in uh touch with their emotions yes um but as becomes revealed soon after these episodes it's not that they're stoic it's that they're emotionally immature how does rebecca rose rushmore put it uh, emotionally uh, unavailable yes, yes. emotionally they're they're not it's not that they're stoic they're emotionally unavailable and that becomes the arc for the rest of the series is um learning to be emotionally available to each other and to others. And um, something that about how Hal had described it, that, it, you know, Croach is driven by his duty and, and his relationship with Sparks. But the evolution that we get is actually, it, to some degree, like him gaining independence. Like it, he really is defined by that relationship early on. Uh, you know, that's, you know, Sparks is dictating what the action is going to be, uh, you know, where, where are they going to go? And uh, everything is about, Croach's onus to Sparks uh, and and fulfilling that onus, but uh, as as the characters grow, it, part of his character development is a sense of independence that's pretty absent in those early episodes. Well, I think that's uh, part of why I recommended these episodes is we start to get that development here, where Croach comes back and he says it's for onus reasons, <laughs> um, but there's you know, like he's using that to deflect from the real reason of. Uh, that this is you know, his relationship with Spark is actually the most significant relationship he has. Uh, he just tried it with Red and realizes um, physically and emotionally they're not compatible. But so, so therefore, Sparks is his 
uh, closest relationship he has. Uh, though he will never say that, he will just say that it's onus reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's he. <laughs> he's so wrapped up and the character early a lot of the jokes were were on a space and that be it's still a huge part of his character and continued that way but it was a lot of it was like well now it's less onus now it's a lot more onus now it's and once now you're under onus to me exactly but then once you dig more into the character and more into the relationship you get stuff like this where he he's coming back claiming it's onus where it's obvious that he's formed an attachment that he's not ready to recognize yet or, or even talk about if he does know he's hoping nobody else knows. Now, Hal, uh, I was hoping you could help us get some insights. I, mm -hmm. I, I said like a lot of the comedy is coming from absurd plot parodying of existing uh, narrative tropes. And then also the, these character based interactions, but also a lot of it is in the performance. Uh, and what is it like to do a live performance? Like these are different beasts to do a live performance versus and, you know, like a vo voice work performance, you know, for animation or whatever it may be. Those mm -hmm. are actually different things. A lot of the consumption of the Thrilling Adventure Hour has come through people just listening to the audio. But as a performer, it, it, you know, is it different? How, do, how does comedy work, especially, I think, for, for that interaction with, a, with an audience? Well, it's, it's definitely better. A lot of times if you're working on a cartoon, you're working alone. So you're delivering your half of the lines. Very, it's very rare to have a group record. So what we're doing is this weird... A melding of a group record and also a live show but a, a lot of the early the reason why my understanding is that we did the old time radio conceit was so that everybody could have their script in their hands you don't have to memorize anything you're just standing at a microphone and we worked you know there's there's subtle choreography to it who's standing where and then we switch for different things so the body switching they're standing and then they just switch places at the same mic and that that does enough to tell the audience there what's going on. But, but in both cases, it's still a very physical type of performance and you should be performing with your whole body. So that helps. And Mark Agliardi is a super expressive physical performer. And then Mark Evan Jackson does so much with an eyebrow raise and also the, the extent to which he will hold a pause <laughs> that is that, plays it plays in audio but it really plays well in in a live setting just to see how long he's going to go how long he's going to hold it so i think it enhances the the listening of it to 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 approach the fact that we approach the live shows as live shows and that's it there's a microphone you want to make sure you're heard but again like we were i never thought about about the person who was listening to it while they were driving they were at home because i had an audience in front of me and I wanted to make sure if I make it make sense to them or I'm entertaining them, chances are someone who's listening to it will also be entertained because the conceit makes it so that most of it is audio. And then the live show subs are, are, are the, the live show moments are just sort of a, an, an extra topping on the Sunday. Does it change like your your sense of the comedy to get that reaction from the audience, to get that laughter coming back and, you know, all that interplay? It, it helps. It's hard to if you're if you're trying something out that you think might work, you'll never know if, if it just goes out as a podcast until later on. Hopefully somebody tweets or writes something about it that they got it. But in the moment, it's, it helps to have that laughter. It feeds the energy and and it it, it does change. There is a difference to playing for a live audience versus just playing, you know for for a podcast recording we don't get second takes or anything like that we just go so the mistakes that happen happen and they make it into the final edit a lot of times yeah i, th I think it's an interesting like there's pros and cons to to all of it i think and um even with like sitcoms like i've i've done some research and, and heard some actors talk about like performing in front of the live studio audience in the classic like 80s 90s styles of sitcoms and what you still find in some places versus the single camera where it's you know just you and the camera or <laughs> you know talking directly to the camera saying the line five or six different ways and seeing what comes yep. in, in the editing sometimes the comedy is found in the editing in those instances uh whereas with there's the live audience you you're trying to find the comedy right then and you you get that give and take uh and I, I there's obviously like validity and wildly successful things that are examples of all these different types of comedy but for a performer i imagine it's just it, it's a very different uh you know depending on what you're stepping into yeah i think when you're doing a, a live show like this where you know you're not it's you know we're not doing hamlet where we're going to be doing <laughs> the same play 
for for <laughs> six weeks. It's we're we're doing it once, and it is it's going to be whatever it is. And then next time we'll come back and get another crack at those characters. And there's not as much room to discover. Like I can't say, well, the next time we do this script, I'm going to try something different. There there were some that we got to do that with if we traveled with it, but. For, for the most part, it's just, all right, well, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to go out there. We Fortune favors the bold, and we'll just see what happens. But we all had a pretty good sense, especially at this point, six years in, of what generally was going to work and who the characters were. We weren't, you're not listening to us try to find them, by and large. How much of a run-through previous, you know, how many run-throughs were, were, were scripts given before it was there live, in front of the live audience? It used to be the very early days we'd go to Blacker's apartment and we would sit and go over everything twice. By the time this was happening, I'm pretty sure it was, we were doing it this way. We would show up an hour or two before and read through everything once, get notes, and then and then it was pretty much showtime. That sounds terrifying to me. <laughs> but you don't have to memorize it. So yeah, that's you true. You're holding the script. script right in front of you. You can make notes in it and and you're gonna find stuff there's a there are a lot of times where there there might be something you wish you could have mm. done oh if, if i had had another shot at it but it definitely it never felt like it was didn't feel under rehearsed right i think yeah. we just knew how to do the show at that point and, and as you said like you've been inhabiting these characters for years for 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 the core group you know that, yeah. that's doing the performance and, and also when you're doing the writing of the same two writers like they they have a, a specific rhythm and everybody who's doing the shows gets gets sort of what their rhythms are and what they think is funny and, and what they're going for in the text. So it makes it a lot easier. None of us have to be taught what their joke rhythm is. So that, make, that makes sense. And they're also now writing to your voices. Now, like for Mark Evan Jackson, that is like he it's his voice. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, he's doing a performance as, as Sparks of Out, but I've seen him in a lot of other things. That's that's his voice. <laughs> you know, he, yeah. he, he, <laughs> it, it works for him so well. But you got to like do some pretty broadly different voices throughout the run of Thrilling Adventure Hour, correct? Yes. Yeah. A lot of the, the narrator voices came from the first show that I ever did, which there, there was no character to any of them, but I it just made sense to me. Instead of having one person narrate these three things the same i went to blacker beforehand and said is it okay if i do characters for these and <laughs> in classic blacker side i was like yeah do whatever you want like, <laughs> I don't, yeah whatever doesn't fight i don't care go ahead it's great uh so then it just I, when you have a green light like that you can try anything and they would always throw us stuff. It's that we had a lot of utility players. Basically, everybody in that cast is a utility player. So it was always fun. As much as I loved having guests, maybe my favorite show we ever did was our second to last show, which was just the core cast. And so all of us were all over the place doing different things. And you realize like, oh, we, this, we could have done this all along. It's great how many like friends we've made and how many wonderful people come and do the show but this feels pretty amazing too. Um, you noted that you uh, some of the scripts were done previously before the podcast version. So there was a little bit of passing and revision, uh, polishing on, on jokes and timing. Did the characters change very much, for like, particularly for Sparks Nevada and Croach, or were, were they pretty established all the way through that you were doing it? No, they're pretty established. Mm-hmm. That changed over time. I think Cacto Jim changed a little bit because it was Nathan and not me. Um, <laughs> Captain Laserbeam is another one that changed a little bit, but like Frank and Sadie from Beyond Belief, they were like a lot of them and Felton too. I, Felton didn't really change. They just kept adding stuff to that character because Craig is so great. Like just keep giving him stuff. <laughs> his his voice is uh, as local yokel. Uh, like it just, as soon as you hear the word yokel, uh, now I can't help but hear him yelling, help! Yeah. Help! <laughs> Oh, so good. And so many great, like, again, great details about that character that come out over time. Or Josh Molina's the barkeep. You right. learn more, like, they can take any character that you see frequently and just turn the camera a little bit and widen the lens. And then you see that character's life, and then it's incorporated forevermore into Sparks Nevada, and you have this great, rich, like, they really built a huge universe, more so than in any other 
other segment of mm-hmm. all of these characters and all these different relationships, some of which have had their own spin-off segments in the shows. And that's that's a testament to how good they were at at, at there's no there are no wasted characters. They they're all an opportunity to to there's an opportunity to flesh them out and and explore them a little bit more. And it only makes everything else it just enriches everything. Oh, I, oh go ahead. Sorry, if I may. Um, I think that's a really good point of how they expand the characters because when they're a lot of them are introduced, uh, they have this catchphrase. You know, Felt has Yelp, uh, Barkeep, as I don't want trouble in my place. Uh, but the actors deliver them with such personality that you can build on that. That it's, it seems one note at first, but as you said, as it goes on, you're able to widen that lens and get a little more insight. So, like, why does the barkeep not want any trouble in this place? Yeah. You get the answer to that. And then that is, makes him a much richer character. And that happens for a lot of them uh, that the, you could kind of start as a, a one note character with just that catchphrase, but it gets expanded over time. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's playing on the trope of every Western bartender who doesn't <laughs> want any trouble in their place. And that's all they do is clean glasses and hide. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Red Plains writer, because I think when we're talking about the iconic uh, stereotype of, of like the, the Western hero, um, she has a is fulfilling one of those roles like this, uh, where Sparks Nevada is like the law keep, you know, the, the one who's trying to maintain order. And uh, yes, we get all the comedy from from those issues that we've already talked about. She's the kind of character that will ride off into the sunset, like comes in, <laughs> saves the day yeah. and then is out. She's not part of the community uh, per se. And, and it's a different kind of Western archetype that allows for, um, you know, some, some more playfulness uh, in the writing and the performance of that character. Right. She's the closest to the cowboy archetype. But even with that, we get that subversion that's going on with a lot of the Western tropes that, in this case, the cowboy is a woman. And what does that change about that that archetype? Yeah. And the fact that she's raised by Mar- like she has no place. She has no official place in Martian society or human society. Mm-hmm. So she's this sort of in between her and also emotionally a mess. <laughs> Like, like classic for all the characters yes. a think, character like, is an emotional mess in this show yeah i mean there are a lot of ways that she's more capable than sparks but she's also a huge mess which is mm-hmm. what makes I, I it makes it for an interesting couple when she's with cactoid jim but also like he's the only one who doesn't seem to be a huge mess in any way he's like oh he's too perfect That's we do find out he's, a, he's an absentee valor because every time he bounces through time he, he he settles down and has a family but then he gets bounced through time again uh, against true. his will but he's just kind of like okay well i'm here now so <laughs> i'm gonna put down roots here <laughs> oh lord i forgot about that <laughs> yeah so i just she's again just such a, she's a great foil for both sparks and croach because she'll she'll call them out mm-hmm. on their crap but also she's a huge mess <laughs> yes well when we talk about like the uh in american like literary history the idea of like the frontiersman that kind of morphs into the cowboy and then later on like it becomes the you know the private eye detective like this kind of character archetype i i think all of sparks croach and red plains writer have some elements of those um and one of the key parts of that is that those characters um they they use like the the weapons of violence of savagery to protect community to protect uh, civilization right and and they belong to neither and red plains writer i think is the one that most explicitly is writing that line as you said like cuz she's you know a human who was raised by martians doesn't feel like she belongs in either place and that's what a lot of that archetypal frontiersman type of character um is supposed to be doing is like riding on that edge of civilization and whatever is is that one next step outward and uh you know we had that with uh the the western in pop culture and then a lot of that got pushed into sci-fi famously uh star trek was supposed to be you know wagon train to the stars and like just taking a lot of those western tropes and now making them sci-fi and this is you know just just playing with all of those you know in one delightful bundle but then throwing in a lot of comedy (laughs) like comedy is your driving force for for a lot of what's going to happen in this one so as you were saying that that archetype moves from the frontiersman to the cowboy to the hard-nosed detective and a lot of those the traits of that archetype then move into the superhero and how you did the narrator for all the shows, but you also got to be one of the recurring characters in one segment. And before I ask you about this, I should let you know, 
I wrote my master's thesis on Batman. Oh boy. No pressure. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Tell us about your recurring character, Philip Fathom, deep sea detective. Sure. Uh, (laughs) That was a character that was sort of dropped in just about. So this is for a different segment. This is for Captain Laserbeam. Yes. He is the Christian Bale Batman, but he's an underwater Batman. It's basically the, the, the dime store, dime store pitch. How, how I came to play him was a lot of times when we would rehearse back to when we were just reading the scripts in, in Blacker's living room. If somebody wasn't there, I would fill in for them. So the first time we ever did, uh, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember. Jefferson Reed, I read it in rehearsal. <laughs> like I, I read those in rehearsal the first time, not in the actual show. So the first time Philip Fathom ever appeared, we were doing a show at, at San Francisco Sketchfest. Christopher Maloney was playing the part but his, his flight had been delayed because he was working, whatever project he was working on was holding him there. So I went and read it in, in rehearsal. And did, I didn't, hadn't really looked at it because I wasn't playing that part in the show. I said, who is this? I said, underwater, I said, it's underwater Batman. And I was like, is it Christian Bale? Is it Michael Keaton? I said Adam West that I, I looked at it. I was like, oh, this is Christian Bale. Can I do a Christian Bale Batman? And so what came out of my throat was what you hear now whenever i do that character and it and people <laughs> people liked it enough they were like how should we doing this how should we do it so later on we, when we recorded it again and when the character came back the character was given to me and that's that's sort of the weird a star is born way that i inherited that role uh it's one thing that is so delightful about the thrilling adventure hour as, as like the, when, when the podcast episodes were being dropped is like, I knew every month we were going to get a sparks Nevada and the beyond belief, which is the supernatural for anyone who's not, hasn't listed that one. That's like uh, a supernatural comedy with two lushes, just alcoholics uh, solving uh, supernatural events that just disrupt their lives. And they're not solving because of nobility. They just want to get back to drinking. And yeah. so they're going to deal with whatever ghost or demon. It's <laughs> as, the, the, the thin man with ghosts. Yes. <laughs> uh, but then there'd be those, those other segments, uh, uh, that that would pop in. So there's the superhero ones, or the uh, Amelia Earhart fearless flyer, or what was the? You turned the didn't Ackerman Blacker turn the Algonquin Roundtable into superheroes at one point? Yes, they're the Fantastic yeah. Four. They all have different powers. But, I mean, <laughs> to get to do that stuff, to play somebody like felt like who who didn't grow up wanting to be Batman or be a superhero, and to get to do it and have a such a well defined character. Like mm-hmm. I know what he's about. Yeah, and it's really fun to play because there's no, like you have to play him straight. It's the only way to get laughs with him. If you play it with any kind of a wink, it doesn't work. He's a tortured, he's a tortured soul whose parents died at sea and he (laughs) won't stop much like Batman until he either. I mean, you could argue that Batman is trying to avenge the death of his parents, or he's trying to avenge any death that could ever happen again. Like he's trying to do something. He'll never get revenge on crime. (laughs) Is what he's doing. Crime took yeah. his parents. And now I will revenge crime. Not the person who pulled the trigger. I want revenge yeah. on all of crime. No matter well, what he does uh, outside of that one episode where he travels through time and stops Joe Chill, like <laughs> Batman can't save his parents. So yeah. just that he's tortured and driven in the same way that and and Phil Fathom is tortured and driven in the same way. Well, when you were talking about uh, what type of Batman should he be, uh, your point of you have to play it straight. That was Adam West's key to playing Batman is no matter what ridiculous is going on, I have to play this straight. I have to treat it like this is serious and that will make it funny. Absolutely. And it, and it works even as goofy as it is. He's definitely like not never once does Adam Adam West wink mm-hmm. to yeah. the camera. Not yeah. even when he's he always believes in being Batman there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He's Batman and it takes it very seriously and, and Burt Ward as well. Mm hmm. But the uh, the eclecticness of those those midsections, it just shows like a love for entertainment, for the, the storytelling tradition of of pop culture, where we're going to mass produce entertainment because there's a desire and a thirst for people to be able to consume entertainment that gets delivered to them. And there's such a range of uh, styles and genres and, and, and the playfulness with which uh, the Thrilling Adventure Hour engaged the long history of American entertainment. It's just kind of a delight of, of again, like this grab bag. Let's just reach back and okay superheroes okay now sci-fi okay now uh the um what was the name of the uh the ho- the hobo with the bindle <laughs> the, uh, down in moonshine holler yes 
But I mean, um, ultimately, it, it also gave Acker and Blacker because they had this incredible toy box to work with of performers. And you know, in, in any given show, you're going to have Sparks at the top and Beyond Belief is going to close. So Paul and Paget and Mark and Mark are pretty well served. So, you know, what could you do? What if, what if you had Autumn coming back over and over and playing Amelia Earhart? Or you gave Craig a segment where he's playing a banjo or John DiMaggio, who was Captain Laserbeam for a really long time. That gave, it was an opportunity to showcase the other, the other actors while also exploring other, uh, other styles to, to, to satire, satirize. Mm Yes, uh, and I, I think there's a reason that Sparks Nevada uh, became such a fan favorite. It's, it's all those things that we said, almost like the Simpsons level of characters, where like there's all these B and C characters that are just populating and they're going to pop in and out of an episode. Uh, but you also like because the show ran for so long, you start to elevate those characters and explore uh, them, and you start to get that kind of nuance that's there for Sparks and Croach and the uh, Red Plains Rider, you know, from the beginning, because those are you're going to be some of your core characters early on. You start to see that with those other characters, um, and, and it's just a sprawling universe that gets built there. But as the thrilling adventure hour as a podcast itself, it's also just like just so playful uh, as to, um, you know, but also, like you said, it's with love. It's it's not we're making fun of and we're ridiculing, uh, you know, the, these things, even if we are sometimes going to give a wink and a nod to some of the problematic <laughs> aspects sure. of, of America's past entertainment history. Uh, that's where I think some of their most pointed satire does, does come uh, is, you know, in, in uh, you know, removing it just enough, uh, you know, to, to making it, you know, outer space and aliens and stuff, but then also like, okay, you know, we, we all know <laughs> what, what was really, this would have been, you know, 60, 70 years ago. Uh, uh, in entertainment uh but it's it, it shows just uh a breadth of uh familiarity and and again just love of storytelling yeah they have a really strong handle on tropes and and they're very skilled at finding the right way to turn those tropes on their ear to either call something out or make it absurd without without saying it's dumb if you like this mm-hmm. and i think that's the you can come away if you're someone who loves the thing that they're that they're poking fun at or that they're satirizing, then they've really done a good job if you if you're able to laugh at it and go, all right, I admit that is kind of <laughs> silly. And they did a really good job of sort of calling it out, but it's you know, it's not saying this is dumb and you're dumb for liking it. Right. Uh, which they, obviously there are some problematic parts of uh, entertainment history uh, sure. and ignoring that, you know, it isn't going to help anyone. But the fact that they're able to have us all kind of laugh together, I think, shows some skill in, in, their, in their writing and their character development. Yeah. Well, does anyone have any final thoughts about either Thrilling Adventure Hour or the characters of Sparks Nevada, Croach the Tracker or any of the other beloved characters from these shows? I have a final thought. Um, I mentioned that. I discovered this on a road trip. I recently was on another road trip helping my brother, one of my brothers move and uh, played a lot of Sparks of Water in preparation for this podcast. And he fell in love with it instantly too. Uh, he just thought the, you know, the, the characters were perfect and wanted to listen to more and more of it as we drove. Um, but it, uh, listening, re listening to the stories that way. Uh, I was also thinking back, able to think back on the first time I listened to him and uh, Sparks of Oz was the only ongoing segment of Throwing Adventure R. All the other segments were self-contained, even if they had repeating characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was uh, Sparks of Oz always ended on the cliffhanger. And re-listening to it, I was able to remember uh, that you would get Sparks of Oz once a month on the podcast, and how exciting it was to get a new episode. I was excited to get a new episode of any of them, but uh, the thrill of Oh, I remember what was happening on Sparks Final last time. What? Or how are they going to resolve it? What's going to happen this time? And so, especially for some of the storylines, which I will not spoil here, uh, <laughs> they were. I, you know, I was really invested. It was like, what's going to happen next? I really need to know the next episode right now. And that, but that pace of separating the releases, um, there's a lot of writing recent, uh, in the last few years about the streaming services and how dropping everything at once might not be the best model giving it a, you know, because you don't have that time to build and uh, maintain a relationship with those characters in that story. And that release model for Thring Adventure Hour really helped me build up that relationship because uh, I was excited always to get that new episode. 
Well, yeah, I, I would say thank you, but I didn't, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> it was really, well, it was no, really, you did because did. it wasn't, it wasn't just the writing. It was partly the writing, partly the performances. Well, that made the characters so engaging. Thank you for my part of it. I, I will <laughs> say they worked really hard no, to know how thank you for oh, your part of it. <laughs> stop. They worked really hard to beat out entire entire arcs for Sparks Nevada. So they knew coming into something over the next several months where it was going to go. And as far as binging stuff, and certainly in the last year plus, <laughs> we have all binged plenty of television shows. But one of the things I'm digging about, about the Marvel shows, in addition to just loving them for what they are, is every week, you know, tonight at, at midnight my time, the finale of, of, of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier comes out. But for the last week, particularly the 24 hours after, after episode five was released, that's what all of us were talking about. So mm -hmm. there, there, there was no, well, I've watched the whole thing. Oh, well, I'm only a couple episodes in. There are always going to be people who are trailing. But to, to have that experience and remember that that's a, a valid and a really enjoyable way to, to ingest culture because it becomes more of a shared experience. I don't have to, you know, we, we might not, we're not on different seasons of the same show. Mm -hmm. We're watching it. And each week we have a week to sit with it and think about it and wonder what's going to happen. And that, that to me trumps the instant gratification of boy, I like that. And now I'm going to watch another one, which, yeah. which I also really enjoy, but this, I, it reminded me how much, how much episodic, storytelling benefits from a little breathing space in between yeah. chapters. Uh, I, I don't remember who pointed this out, but uh, I did read somewhere that Disney plus has somehow managed to recreate appointment television. Yeah. That, you know, has been missing for a decade. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we, I know we've mentioned it like uh, stranger things. Like when that first season dropped, I feel like everyone kind of discovered it at their own pace, but then binged it immediately, but you never knew where anyone else was. And it kind yep. of, I think Netflix could have owned a summer of entertainment discussion if it had been released one episode at a time for two months, you know, like everyone right. would have been, you know, by the time the third episode, everyone would have caught up and been talking and theorizing about what was going to come next. But everyone was kind of like on like scared of talking about it. You actually come scared <laughs> when it's in that bingeable format. <laughs> well, if you, if you think of the strategy, if you're Netflix, it's you're going to keep subscribing because we have so much just by pure volume of what we have. And I think that's where Disney kind of started as well as to say, look, we have everything, everything that we've ever put in the vault. It's all here. You can watch it all at once. I mean, except for Song of the South. Except for Song of the South. <laughs> that that one's never coming out of the vault. Access. But, you know, yeah, the majority of, of stuff that they, would, that they would hide away and not make available to get it. Like Peter Pan would be on VHS for, for like a couple months and then it would go in the vault for several years. They, they, now you have it all at once, but they would hemorrhage people. They would hemorrhage viewers no matter how much great content they have. And they have a ton of great original content. But something like this where where you delay and you have to you know if you rolled from from wandavision into the falcon and the winter soldier that's what 14 weeks that they have you mm -hmm. that you're going to continue and, so and, and by next year they're going to alternate between marvel and star wars you'll have something new every week yep oh yeah I, the mandalorian too they established it with the mandalorian mm -hmm. i I, I just enjoy waiting for, for all of it. It's worth the wait. If it was bad, it wouldn't be worth it. But good good storytelling is worth waiting for and, and having time to digest. And I think it's part of the like the, the way fan communities can develop and the conversations you can have about it are just different when you're all waiting for that one week uh, to, to find out what happens next. And that speculation for me is part of the enjoyment of entertainment. And with everything like, okay, well, I'm just gonna watch the next episode to find out what happens next instead of thinking about it and, you know, making predictions and however right or wrong they are, you know, that that's not really an option when the next episode is just right there in the queue. 100%. Well, I, we kind of diverged at the end, but I enjoyed the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hal, thank you for coming on to talk some about Thrilling Adventure Hour. Now, for first-time guests on the show, we always ask our dinner guests question because we're a show that celebrates great characters and great stories. If you could hang out with any three to five fictional characters for a dinner party one night, who would you want to hang out with, Hal? Okay, three, three or four? Yeah, yeah, guess? just in that, you know, just enough that it's a little gathering, you know, pre-COVID era gathering. <laughs> Get, uh, give me Atticus Finch. Oh, yes. Okay. That is a strong choice. I think we've had that one come up before. 
uh, Jed Bartlett. Okay, you're going with the noble figures here. <laughs> I just think they'd be really interesting to 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 talk with. Um, I don't know if she would if she would really open up. I'd like to think she would, but uh, Natasha Romanoff would be fun. I feel like she has some crazy stories. So she's going to be like, look, I'll tell you everything. If you want to know about the Red Room, we'll talk about the Red Room. I, I would love to see Atticus's reaction to Natasha's stories. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Lloyd Dobler, just because I think he, he'd just be an interesting, awkward person to have in the mix. That is a very eclectic group that you've managed to gather together. <laughs> I throw crazy dinner parties. <laughs> well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for downloading. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. Hal, is there anything that you would like to plug? Sure. You can follow me on all social media at Hal Lublin. You can listen to any one of my current podcasts, including We Got This with Mark and Hal and Tights and Fights, which is a wrestling podcast. Both of those are on the Maximum Fun Network. And then Good Morning Night Vale, where myself and two other Welcome to Night Vale cast members are doing a re-listen of every single episode of Welcome to Night Vale and sharing some behind the scenes stuff and analysis and feedback from you, the other Night Vale listeners. Did you share the premise of We've Got This with, with Mark and Hal? Sure. We got this, which was born out of Thrilly Adventure Hour when that was when that was ending. I was like, Mark, come on, we're making a podcast. Come on, we're jumping off the ship. <laughs> uh, essentially, we take the things that you didn't realize you cared a ton about, but that you argue about as if your life depended on it, like whether or not ketchup goes on a hot dog or how to fold or roll your socks. And we settle it once and for all. <laughs> and that's it that's the end of the debate <laughs> that's it we end the debate we we settle the debate so you don't have to have it anymore and is there any greater public service i don't think so. <laughs> that, that has uh you've been doing that one for a while correct you've done hundreds of debates have been resolved by you it, two we've done well over 300 episodes over the course of six years well that's a great service that you have provided so thank you <laughs> it's our pleasure uh, you can reach us listeners by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or us on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Dizminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Sorry, Sorry, I agree. I, no, 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 I'm pausing. I, 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 was, just, I was just double checking the script. It's a well -made <laughs> I was, I was kind of like, is there a question in that? <laughs> no, no, I, was, I, I didn't have any follow up. Sorry. Well, we'll pause and give Andrew another point here. <laughs> the smoothest segue I've ever seen. Oh, flawless. <laughs>